Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. Hello there, everybody. I This week, I am so excited that I got the opportunity to um, have Jane on my show. She is, so her bio, right, is that she's the founder of a coach's business school, a global coaching and development company with a focus on residents as the key driver of individual and organizational success. She is one of the world's most exclusive business coaches, and her clients are by invitation and referral only. She has worked with CEOs and senior executive teams from around the world, best-selling authors, and trailblazing coaches. But what I got to say is this was one of my favorite interviews. This woman, I just felt such a kindred spirit with her. I enjoyed this conversation so much and I enjoyed listening to her grit and grace on her path. And I, you know, I have sent this out to some friends and said, you have to listen to this woman's story. And so I'm so excited to finally make this public. Please, please enjoy. And I can't wait. Leave a comment. I would love to hear what you guys think because this was one of my favorite interviews. So enjoy. Here's Jane. Hi, Jane. How are you today? I'm really good. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah. Looking forward to the conversation. (laughs) Me too. Uh, We just talked before we pushed record in this idea that you are uh, just as interested in what's going to come out of your mouth (laughs) as I am, right? We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what the plan is for us today? (laughs) Exactly. So we start in the podcast where we always start, which is the beginning um, or whatever. Uh, So what do you remember growing up? Was your spiritual or religious upbringing or not just that, but what was your experience of that? Do you remember growing up? Mm, Yeah, I do. I do. And it's interesting the way that you just described it, because, you know, when you said my spiritual path as a child, the, the first thing that came to me was um, I, I always felt like the black sheep in my family, always. Um, I always felt very different to my family. In terms of religion, my mom was Catholic. She'd been brought up with a strong Roman Catholic background. But she wasn't, she'd actually kind of shunned it as an adult because she lived in fear Mm -hmm. of things like death and being a sinner and going to hell and, you know, the angel of death and all these things that she was taught as a child absolutely filled her with fear. And so I didn't really have much religion in my childhood at all. Apart from at school, I mean, I I was brought up in England, so we have Church of England, which is Christianity. And um, so my school's Royal Church of England. So, you know, we sang the hymns, we listened to the Bible, all those things were part of life. But I, I kind of knew at a very young age that for me, religion felt too confining, too small a box for me to kind of sit within and and I 
I did try. It was interesting because in my late teens, I, I kind of went to different faiths and started reading about Buddhism and Hinduism and, and different things and couldn't really find a, a way that felt comfortable. Let's just say that. And then I came across spirituality and energy and just this very open space that there's something beyond myself here. And I guess that that's been a key part of my spiritual path. I think I've spent a lot of time seeking. And really in the last maybe only five years or so, I've come to a place where I feel very comfortable now in my beliefs. Um, I feel very comfortable in choosing the beliefs that allow me to live the life I want to lead. <laughs> um, and as a coach, I know that I do you know, I create meaning for myself in my life. And, and so I do choose beliefs. And, and so this whole idea of a connected, interconnected universe, this whole idea of my life being a dialogue with something greater than myself has, has become a guiding kind of light, a North Star really in my life. And when I look back, I see it's always been there. It's always been there. And I knew from a very young age that, um, there was something different about me and my life to the people in my family of origin and, and the way that they lived their life. I, I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want that for myself. I wanted something else. I didn't know what it was. I'm still not sure. I completely know what it is I want, but I, I just knew it was different. <laughs> Interesting. So I have a bunch of questions. Um, one, which is like, so you were raised with the Church of England, but it didn't sound like it was an active thing. It was just kind of something that was occurring in the background, right? Yeah, I mean, it was active in terms of school because school was, you know, every morning we had a morning assembly, which is like a, a church service, basically. Oh, and, okay. you know, so, so that was around. And, um, yeah, I just... But it didn't speak to you? No. So I mean, then, I like the stories, but no, it didn't speak to me. Then you decided to go seek something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that's interesting. And so you looked at different religions and they didn't call you. Hmm. And then you said you found spirituality mm -hmm. and energy. Mm -hmm. So my first opening, I was raised with atheists. And, and so my first opening was Shirley MacLaine's book. Oh, out gosh. on a limb. Yeah. And I remember yeah. reading this thing where she talked about, uh, and I'm, I'm a lover of old musicals. And so I liked her. I don't even know how I ended up with this book. Like who knows? And I was like, she talked about all these mystical experiences all over the world. And I thought, oh my God. Yes. And I remember feeling a little secretive about it. Like people are going to not necessarily like this. <laughs> Um, so I don't know why I talked about it because this was like 14, 15, 16 or something like that. Um, but that was my first and it just rang true mm. when I read it. So when you said you found spirituality, yeah, how? Like what does that mean? How did you find where did you find it? What little corner and like what does that look like? Well, it was kind of cumulative because my grandma read the tarot. Right. So that was one of the first things. And I, I don't really remember her. She died when I was about 10 or 11. And I don't really remember her like teaching that, but it was like the story in our family. Like 
you know, Nan does the tarot. And so was what, like, how was it held though? Was it held negatively? It was held, yeah, it was held negatively. Like she's kind of a bit weird. She's like a bit of a witch kind of thing. <laughs> and, it, and, in, and in England, you see, we have the whole Wicca, Celtic Wicca kind of tradition. And so I was very interested in the fact that my Nan did tarot. Like what's tarot and why is it so bad? And, you know, like it was treated a bit like voodoo. It was like, so I started reading like, before my teenage years about tarot and what that meant and then it was kind of so that was one thing and then at school we did Arthur Miller's The Crucible and all these witches were being burnt in Salem and I was like god witches are really like wrong like what's that about so then I started reading about Wicca and I found this whole like underground community in England around Wicca and that was interesting for a bit and it kind of captured me these these herbalists that would you know use oils and use herbs and and heal people I was like wow then I went to college and um I was kind of into this healing and for my dissertation for my first degree I had to pick something and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And then I had this idea that, um, cause for many years I thought it was going to be a doctor and that wasn't right for me. And then I got into this idea. Why do we have the, the Orthodox medicine system that we do and why don't we have healers anymore? What's happened to the healers? And so it kind of all jumbled up and then, um, I was invited to, so then I was invited to transcendental meditation at college. I was also invited to a spiritual healing weekend that I just wandered along to with my friend. Right. Just, yeah, I just want, like what? Okay. Yeah. Let's go and see some weird people. That'd be a cool way to spend the weekend. So we did that. And I thought I was going to be laughing at everyone. There was this one point in the in the course it was a Sunday afternoon it was the end of the course I said okay we're going to do some free writing now we're going to channel I was like oh god really <laughs> and so it's like hit you know get your get your pad out get a pen and then um in a moment I'm going to open a subject area from a like a piece of paper you're not going to know what it is and you're going to have like five minutes to just channel whatever comes up and you're going to listen deeply and uh, and I was like oh, okay and just 60 seconds before he pulled the piece of paper out my hand started shaking right that was the first thing I was like oh this is weird this is really weird and then the next thing that happened was like I he did like a meditation and I opened my crown chakra and then he he he, he pulled the tablet out and it was the future and I started writing and I wrote in five minutes I wrote two sides of A4 which is a bit bigger than letter size in Amer in America I wrote two and every and they were rhyming couplets everything rhymed all the way through and so afterwards he went round and I was thinking this is I was so scared I can't tell you it was so weird for me yeah and then I he went round the group and everybody just written a few words and different things and I'd written these two sides of A4 and I'd, I'd drawn a picture as well and I read out this thing and he just like went, what's that? He said, Have, I said, I don't know. And he said, well, where's that from? Is that a poem you know? I said, no, I don't know what it is. And it was such a profound piece of writing. I still look at it today. And that was like, he said, you need to go on a spiritual development course. You've got to open this channel, Jane. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, and that's, where it, all, that's where it all began. That's where it all began. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so tell me about it. So like you, you did this thing 
you stumbled on it, right? And I mean, so often that is the thing, right? I'm slightly interested. I end up down a rabbit hole somehow. And then I think, wait, right. how did this, how did the, you know, and I'm just like, but that <laughs> seems really interesting. I studied uh, hand reading for right. like three years and didn't tell anyone. Just, right. That was like me. I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. It was over here. Right. And then over here was the work that I did. I was a leadership consultant. I was doing business coaching. I was over here. And then my spiritual retreats and my weekends were over here. And I never thought the two would come together. Of never well, did. can't, right? Well, Although I was did. using all of those skills <laughs> in the boardroom, yeah. but calling it something different. Yeah, cloak Never. and dagger marketing, that's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, you give people, sell people what they, they think that they want and then give them what they really need. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you have this channel. So do you channel today? Yeah. Oh, okay. I do, I do it as part of my work as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of freaked out. What did you do at that moment? You did continue. You listened to him. You continued to move forward. Well, so what was really strange was I felt like I, so remember I'm in meditation as well, right? So I had this meditative practice and, and it was very clear to me. It was funny because at first it felt like a burden. It felt like I had a responsibility that I didn't really want. Mm. It, it was kind of like, I haven't got time for this. Like I, like, I don't know what this is. And the world that I'm in doesn't really accept this. So like, I'm not meant to do that. I think I should be who I think I should be and it's not that that's not what my parents expect of me it's not what my lecturers expect of me it's none of that so I was a good girl so I was over here learning the game of work and life and leadership and consulting and all that how to make um, money I mean I needed to make money I needed to have a good business yeah. card and I didn't want to yeah. have to wear patchouli Yes, flowing dresses. coming with my incense to the sea suite. I was like, I was gonna have to have bad hair, and I didn't want it. And I liked being a blonde, so yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, totally, yeah. But then you continued to do it, so you did both. Yeah, yeah. This was like my dark secret. Like even my best friend from childhood, who she's still my best friend today, didn't really know. Except for when she got ill or something and I'd, uh, you know, give her some oils or, cause I was on that, he, in the early days I was on the healing side. So I learned herbalism and aromatherapy and crystals and all the different things that we use to make it okay <laughs> to be spiritual. So yeah. yeah, those were the early days. <laughs> okay. So I love that. I mean, we are very similar. I, you know, it was very important. I was doing mergers and acquisitions. And that was paying for all these courses, right? right. So that was good. Utilizing my intuition and my ability to read a room in these like yeah. super corporate experiences. Yeah. And having this moment where I would go to these, um, and finally, and I realized that my boss was doing it too, but he wasn't naming it. Right. And he would, we would go to these meetings and we would leave, I would leave the executive team meetings and he would say like, what did you what happened in that meeting for you? Right. <laughs> and I, I was like, well, don't you know? Like, I just thought it was so bizarre that he was asking me these questions and I would answer it and he would just like listen to me and really, and you know, and I didn't understand. Right. right. And then I finally got, so, so anyway, enough about me. So what happened next? So you have these two alternate worlds going on. 
right? Yeah. Both sounding successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know that I'd measure the spiritual one in terms of success, but yeah. I mean, but yeah, yeah, I know. You're you doing mean. it, you're learning, you're having fun, you're going forward. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And um, the first time they came together, and I, and I didn't do it <laughs> naturally. No so I was a consulting site. Uh, occupational psychologist I used to do a lot of psychometrics and I give people feedback <laughs> you know and I'd be reading their scores and it was in the old days before you used to get like a printout from a you know the data analyst or whatever online with everything it was all done manually and then I had to interpret the scores manually because this was way back in the early 90s and so um I was like giving people feedback and there was this one guy in particular I'll never forget him he was the CFO of a company in England and I was giving him his, his feedback and I uh, there was a point of behavior that he didn't agree with it was one of his blind spots and um, I remember saying to him but but your wife knows and when you did this last week and this happened then your wife your wife knows and he just stopped dead in his tracks and he went that was weird and I said like what because I hadn't even realized what I'd done yeah. and he said how did you know that? And I was like, oh, well, I was just kind of taking a guess and I was just interpreting the story. Like, what have I done? But I didn't realize I gave these deeply intuitive readings of a psychometric score. So that was always present. That was always there. And the other thing was my bit. So I came self-employed in 96 and my business was a calling. I knew that. And so I didn't do the business plan. I didn't do that. I just kind of went where the business took me, <laughs> which um, my team found very difficult. And, you know, but we were very successful because of that. So I was still listening deeply to kind of life. But my huge turning point was 2001, when I gave birth to my third child, Jacob, and suffered a massive medical injury. So I won't go into the whole thing, but basically what happened, I was in a wheelchair, bedridden for three years on morphine, numerous surgeries, nothing worked. It was spinal cord, bladder and kidney. And um, I paid a lot of money to go and see the top neurourologist in Imperial College London to get, like, I, I needed to get off the drugs. I wanted my life back. And um, she basically turned around to me. She was horrible. She had no bedside manner, but it was probably a good thing because I needed waking up. And she turned to me, she said, Jane, you need to go back home, make the most of the time you got left with your kids because I reckon, you know, 2011 is probably the latest year that you'll see. So you're going to go home to die. And I remember falling to pieces, literally falling to pieces. And then somewhere realizing that um and I couldn't read at the time which was very frustrating to me because I wanted to go and research but when you when you're on so much morphine your pupils dilate and you can't focus to read and so I just somewhere deep inside me I just knew that this wasn't how my story had to end it just wasn't and then fast forward through the healing I went back to work so I'd had to sell my business <laughs> and sorry I, Sorry, we're not going to fast forward through the healing. You know, oh, not, God. Yeah. and then let I me just freeway through that. No, oh, no, no. I'm not going to let me. Hold on a second. Okay. So one, I just, I really appreciate the fact that like morphine and those kinds of drugs really cut us off. Yeah. From yeah. 
from spirit, right? And and it and it so it, I can I can appreciate how a you're in physical pain, but b you also now have this cutoff to a part of your well. I mean, so tell me about that. That wasn't my experience. Oh, okay. So my experience was it cut me off from physical life. And I went into the whole spiritual thing because it was the, uh, the inner journey was the only thing I had. And so for me, even though I was on morphine, <laughs> um, somehow I was able to be free internally in a way I'd never had the space or time to be before. And yeah. it, was, it was a deeper connection to the the things that, I mean, I'd say mattered most, but I don't know if I mean that really, because in the time it felt anything but that, because I couldn't be with my kids. I wasn't a mother to my children. I wasn't a consultant anymore. I wasn't a coach. I wasn't a wife or a friend or a daughter or a mother or any of these things I'd known myself to be. But when those things fall away, like when life is taken from you, what's left? And that was all I had left was my essence who who I was and 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 even more than that who I who I am but the big thing that got me through was not who my connection to a higher self or anything it was more of this idea that the potential energy was still there Mm. it was still inside and so as long as I had potential I had hope and so as long as the hope was there, I could keep stepping forward. But it was not a comfortable place to be at all. I mean, like, I had carers that had to bathe me. I couldn't do anything. And I was, I was catheterizing, like, six times a day, bleeding profusely every time I did it. Oh, it was horrendous. And, and not only that, I had the medical establishment telling me that catheterization didn't hurt. There is no pain. There is not a pain syndrome around catheterization. So I had people negating what I was going through. And that was horrible. Horrible. And so being, I, I don't know if this is the word you would use, but kind of broken down in, in such an immense way. Mm. Yeah. How do you crawl out of that? So the first very honest thing to say is I didn't think I would. I really didn't. Yeah. And so I had to, and I, I have a personality preference that lives in the future. I'm very visionary. I love like what's not yet here. And I like shaping that. And so that was a key part of my personality. And when that was taken away, when you're given a terminal diagnosis and that's taken away, that was really hard, really hard. And so I didn't think I would crawl out of it. But I had this sense that there was a bottom. (laughs) Um, And it sounds funny to say, but like we say, we have the metaphors, don't we? Rock bottom, bottom of the barrel. Like I just thought, and this is literally what happened to me, because I, I know change. Like I knew it in my head, right? I knew healing. I knew that in my head. But I didn't know it in my body and I wasn't embodying it. So I had to learn all the theories and things I already knew. Mm. I kind of had to start to live them. Mm. So I know that the change curve goes down before it goes up, right? The grief curve does that. All the curves do that. Mm -hmm. So I made it a point to get, this sounds really weird, 
as bad as it could get so that I could come out the other side. And every time I thought I was at rock bottom, I was shown that I wasn't. And that's a really hard place to be when it gets even worse the next week. And then it gets even worse the next week. And you're thinking it can't possibly get any worse than this. And then it does. And I've learned I'm, never to say that. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> to remove like, that completely yeah. of like, okay, let's just let that one go and not challenge yeah. the universe in that way. Yeah. And, and just say this, hopefully, this, okay, yeah. And then here's the weird thing, yeah. the spiritual thing. My son, Jacob, who'd given me the injury in the first place during the birth, um, we, we used to go, my husband used to take me out. I only went out of the house on a Saturday morning. He used to bundle me in the car with Jacob and, um, and the, uh, my two girls. And we used to go to a bookstore in town because I've always loved reading. And so they used to have a children's corner with cushions and things. And he used to, Jacob was really into Thomas the Tank Engine. I don't even know if that's here. But Luke loves it. <laughs> my son loves it. Right. Thomas the now. Tank Engine. So he would always, and Nick, my husband, would put him on my knee with a Thomas the Tank Engine book and we'd just look at pictures because I couldn't see the words. And it was just a really nice thing. And quite honestly, I didn't notice it at all. I wasn't really there. But Nick thought this was a good thing for Jacob. So we did it every Saturday morning. And then this Saturday morning, uh, Jacob was allowed to pick one of the little books and he could have that and then take it home. And he always picked Thomas Tank Engine. God, he had a library like you wouldn't believe. And so he'd pick a Thomas Tank Engine. We'd read this book this day and Nick told me about the day. And he said, no, he wouldn't. By the till, there was a book on promotion. And he wanted the rainbow book. And Nick said to him, like, that's an adult book. Like, what do you want that book for? And he said, well, because mommy, mommy needs the rainbow. It's for mommy. And mm. so we bought the book, took it home. And Jacob kept saying, I want mommy to read it. I want mommy to read it. And like, mommy couldn't read it because I didn't have, I couldn't focus. So it was on my nightstand for, I've no idea how long, but it was there a lot. And every night Jacob would say, we want to read the rainbow book. And we didn't. And then one day, we did. And somehow I managed to focus enough to get a little bit out. And you know what book it was? It was Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. That was the book. See, I'm tearing up now. <laughs> I'm crying. Yeah. And that was the book. And it was like, oh, am I allowed to swear? Because I really want to go, oh, fuck. Yeah. What, what is that about? <laughs> like he brings me the illness and then he brings me out of it. So that was the beginning of thinking there was something else for me, that this wasn't how my story had to end. Yeah. It's interesting, this idea that you hold it, that he brought you the illness. Yeah. Because that's not how I hear it. Yeah. And I didn't at first, because I remember sitting in a hospital waiting room, waiting to be taught how to catheterize. And there was a mother in there with a 18 month old child and the child had the bladder problem and they were catheterizing this little boy. And I remember, and I remember him going in, I remember hearing the screams and everything and thinking, oh God. And then I remember sitting there and feeling so grateful that it was me and not him. Right. I remember that. So in the early days, I didn't think that, but looking back when you kind of connect the dots that's how I see it now I see each of my children have brought me gifts they've each been different but but Jacob brought me the biggest wake-up call I could have ever had 
because the output of that changed everything for me. Yeah, I got my life back and so grateful to just be here. I can't begin to tell you. And, and not only that, but I realized I couldn't go back to the work I was doing because the work that I was doing was the work that we think business and leadership consulting is all about, coaching is all about. And I knew I had to bring together like, you know, the business school stuff with the energy and the healing and the, the resonance, all of that spiritual consciousness had to come into my work. So it changed everything for me because now that's the integrated place that I, I live in, that I work within, that I inspire. That's the message I carry now. It's very different to where it was. You know, I love a couple things. Like one, I can tell you exactly where I was when I got my first Louise Hay book. Really? <laughs> Santa Barbara. I was that 18. Wow. And someone was saying, you're a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't deal with you. Try this book. Like, I remember, like, I remember being like, well, that was rude. <laughs> that was just, and I was a hot mess, right? Like, so I appreciate that. <laughs> and then, um, and then there's just like this idea I've been, I've been super obsessed with the idea of the physical and the spiritual, the human and the spirit, you know, that I have so often focused on, right. The stony stuff, the get out of my body, the like mm -hmm. higher self, let's get connected to energy and woohoo and, <laughs> and just stop being so messy and human. And, and now I love that you're discussing the work is actually the com combination. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it that is. it's that, and, and even the business with the spiritual. Yeah. It's the combination of uh, it's too much business is wrong and too much spiritual isn't, isn't good either. Right. Yeah. Like it's a denying the spiritual bypass and all the stuff happening in the world. Um, so do you, do you consider that you had a miracle? Let's throw out that word. No, I don't. In fact, when I speak on stage, and there's been a number of times I've been in front of thousands of people, I've, somehow I've gone around to telling my story, and then I've just been a blubbering idiot on stage. <laughs> and then I come off stage and people say, I've had people say all kinds of things like, my, that's a miracle. No, it's not. Just because it's at the edges of what we believe is possible, doesn't mean it's a miracle. It just means that we're very limited in what we think is possible. We limit ourselves in ways we don't even realize. So I think being, I think life, being alive is a miracle. I mean, that to me is, I mean, that's what it's all about. And we, it's so easy to go, yeah, that's a cliche, you know, let's just, you know, yeah. but really, why aren't we brought up? Why aren't we educated? Why aren't we socialized in these more expansive ways of thinking and being? And, you know, not just in the doing, but in who we are and who we become as a human. Because to me, that's way more valuable than learning calculus. That I can't imagine. I don't think I've ever learned that. I've never used it as an adult. Like, what was that about? And so, Really, I'd have loved that to have been a key part of school life because I think that would have really helped me as an individual. But I was, you know, I was learning this new world, this, this educational world, this left brain, logical, scientific world 
and I thought that was the way life was and and then as you know as physics kind of evolved and life went on and I evolved then I was ready to hear something else and it's it's staggering today where we find ourselves where we're still in school teaching Newtonian physics and we know it's not true well it's not that it's not true it's just very limited view of the world it's like looking through a little box and we don't teach quantum and it's like scientifically we know this is true why is that not there so we're, we're educating kids and I've seen it with my own kids to to a different time and I think it's I feel it's time for us all to wake up it's time for a change yeah so yeah that's so that's why it's not a miracle to me so it is and it isn't not in the way that I think other people would say it but yeah. I just think every day waking up every day is a miracle <laughs> being so, here you know? an evolutionary step for you and your growth oh huge like not just a step like a huge flipping Everest <laughs> well yeah Seriously. I mean you know like it's not yeah it's huge it was huge I mean I I am like so this is something that happened this weekend oh my god I can't believe I'm going to say this I've like I've I only mentioned it a little bit to my husband right so um this weekend we had the long weekend and I went through all my I've got journals like bookcases of friggin' journals I've written my entire life and I thought oh it'd be really interesting to meet Jane when she was 16 let's go back and have a look and I'm honest to god truth it's the first time I've gone back I cannot stand her (laughs) I like I look at her and I'm like who is this person like she's so shallow (laughs) she's so like lost and moaning all the time and life is really hard and like and then it's like wow like using alcohol to just like you know dumb the senses right into my mid-20s it's like who is this girl this woman and who's she becoming I was really I wouldn't like her if I met her now she's so superficial and yet there was this other thing going on in that life that I never wrote in my journal about ever. My journal was like some episode of Mean Girls. I mean, <laughs> really. And I, so it's weird when I look back on her. But, I, you know, I think of it. So I, I kind of hold these things as standing at the turning points, that there are different mm. times in my life that are absolutely, I made some decision that just, absolutely made me go left when I, I mean, I do the same. I think of me as a child or me as, you know, and I was miserable Yeah. with very little reason to be, you know, yeah. I mean, I was handed a lot of golden tickets and yet I, I kind of like, if I were to see that girl walking down the street, you know, like I would imagine she's out there in the world because she's so different from who I am today. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, and I get so sad sometimes at the wastedness of that time. Yeah. Yeah. But could I be here without that? I don't, right. I don't know. Right. right. And so that's the other piece, you know, I met my husband later and whatever. And, and I, I just think, God, why didn't we meet when we were 20 and we could have done this thing and it would have been amazing. But when he describes who he was at 20 and I know who <laughs> I was at 20, we would have destroyed each other. I mean, yeah. burned it to the ground. Yeah. And, and so part of me just loves that little girl. 
Yeah. Like, can I love her? Right. Yeah. And, and know that like it got me here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I do, I hear that. Like, I just, I look back, you know, we keep having these high school reunions and I just, oh, <laughs> oh my God. And I just think, I don't, that's not, who wants to do that? Right. <laughs> I could go there and be like, hi, I'm Leslie. You've never actually met me. <laughs> right. How, so we'll go back to this. I like the story and we can stop if you want, but it, <laughs> How did you move? How long did that take? I mean, that's a big, how did that shift? Because I hear the internal shift. Mm -hmm. How did that start to manifest externally? So um, it was beliefs. So I decided one day I was not going to live like an invalid. I was in an awful lot of pain and yet my left cheek didn't have any pain. So I decided I was going to live my life from my left cheek because that it didn't have any it didn't have any pain at all so i could live here because everywhere else was very painful and it was interesting because it was only later that i came across um you know the biology of belief by bruce lipton mm. um and also another uh work with a woman that i came to know very very well unfortunately she's not with us anymore but um the um cellular wisdom by Joan King. And I got to know Joan when I moved to the States and lovely woman. But those were the, the things, this idea that what you believe kind of affects your, your body, your physicality, your health. And, and I realized if I'm making decisions from a belief that I'm going to die, then it's going to change. I'm, I'm going to create that because I'm going to be going down that path. Whereas if I go over here and I say, well, I'm, I'm not ill. And if I make, if I make decisions from, I know it sounds stupid, my left cheek, then, you know, so I was always checking in with my cheek. <laughs> so, um, but it was basically for me, that was like, okay, so I'm going to be the healthy Jane in the future, the future person. And she's going to show me, she already knows how to get through this. So I'm just going to put her in charge inside and let, you know, the ill Jane, you know, just relax into the background and, you know, the morphine fueled Jane and the one that's crying all the time because she's so broken that she's not got a life and she, you know, they're fine and you can just sit in the background and now future Jane's going to take over. I did, there was no easy path is the other thing to say. I tried a number of alternative therapies and it was a combination of different things that helped. And one of the biggest things was taking the Oriental view of medicine uh, rather than, you know, what we have in the West here and, and starting to work with my energy and my meridians and, you know, starting to open. That's the best word, open yeah. to, to life. And, the, and, and even if I was dying, there was this massive realization I had that up until the point at which I die, um, it's still life. Yes. So is this, is this what I want to be doing? And, I, and it wasn't what I wanted, but it was so hard. I couldn't walk. I had to learn to walk again. Yeah. It was so hard thinking, all I want to do is just go for a walk with my kids or have a picnic in the park or something. And I just could not 
I couldn't hold my weight for more than maybe three steps because of the pain. It would make my knees go from under me. And, and I just, so, I, for people who are listening, I just want it noted that you are standing mm-hmm. having this podcast with me, right? You are. Oh, now, yeah, I am. Yeah, I just, like if yeah, you, it's yeah. not necessarily obvious by the visual. No. And you're standing and you're not in yeah. pain. No. There's a couple things that come forward is this. I, it's so easy to just kind of not really get the, um, how hard it is. Right. Mm. And, you know, we just talked before and Luke had been diagnosed just recently with autism and it's terrifying. Yeah. And the terror that comes up and he's my little kid and I've got him, I've got him. And just, and it's this overwhelming experience. And then I let it move and I get up off the floor yeah. And then I say, okay, I'm, I, this is not a death sentence. This is not, I don't know. And when you say it, when the doctors are all saying he's not going to talk and I say, okay. And then, but he might, but you don't know. Right. And I'm not going to live in that possibility that you have for him. I'm going to live in a different one. And, and what I'm saying to people who are out there who are terrified, who, you know, the people who work with me, yeah, I, I hear, I know your terror and I'm saying it's hard and you do it anyway, right? Like we have to stand in the face of that fear and do the work anyway. And it doesn't mean that you don't have it, right? Like it doesn't mean that I'm not sobbing on the floor. Sure. I'm wrong. And then I get up and go, okay. And we're going to do it anyway. Right. And there's a, there's a role for me that I was given in a meditation a long, long time ago during my healing. And I'd actually been given it years before and never really understood what it meant. And it was this role of edge walker, right? Mm. And uh, if you look it up, it's, a, it's an old shaman term. And actually, when I came to the US, I, I mentioned it on a keynote speech. And one of my colleagues called me up and said, you know, a woman that's written a book on this. And so I want to honor Judy Neal because she runs Edgewalkers International. And, you know, we've had some great conversations, great friends now. It's fascinating to me because when I look at my life, I've been an Edgewalker, right? Which means I've never been in the middle of anything. I've always been on the edges of different worlds because my role is to be the bridge. So when I was in that situation and the doctor said to me, you're not going to make it, basically, um, I knew I was on the edge of the orthodox medical world and then healing and potentially spirituality and then just the the experience of being in pain, right? (sighs) Awful pain. And then I knew that these were things that I had a unique perspective on. And with my grounding in psychology and you know business and different things it it gives me a view that nobody else has and so when I start to look at things that are really hard in my life and you say you know like you you kind of fall down and then you get back up and like okay for me I always look at the edges now and it really helps because I think okay what are the edges that I'm now in between because if I'm in, if I see myself, like I shared with you, I have a daughter with autism. So if I see myself as I'm this person with this unique kind of background, and now I have this challenge, what light can I shed in this space that I find myself in? Not just for me and, you know, the immediate people involved, but, you know, what can I contribute from here? 
and that always helps me because it's it's now it's not just about me it somehow that calls me out in a way I can't do just for myself it calls me out in a way where I think okay so what do I notice here that other people might miss and um how can I build a narrative around this that I can connect these worlds in a way that this people this person will hear and this person will hear and we can start to find a new way a new path that's not been trodden before and I think that's one of the things I've learned that I do and I've chosen it because it helps me so much and I continuously seem to be at the edges <laughs> continuously so it's like okay I've got to put some meaningful reason to this like well, I mean, there is a meaningful reason there, right? I mean, yes, so I yes. have this, I, I can't, I can't stand the title coach. Like, I, right. just, I hate it. I, hate hey, it. I struggle with it. Yeah. And, um, and so I come up with these other words all the time and, 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 and I don't know how, who's going to pay me for this, but this is what <laughs> I do. It's just the connector. Right. I'm very good at through lines. Right. I'm very good at connecting dots and, and bringing my, you know, the 20 years or 30 years experience and then saying, Here, hear it. Oh, I see. You right. just talk and I'm going to, here's the woe, the weave of what it is, yeah. the connection, right? Yeah. And I love this idea of the edge walker, the, of, of these areas, like, because it's also where things meet. It is where things meet. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's the edge and it's where, it's a connection. Yeah. Right? It really is. And so it's needed and beautiful because it we're so stuck. Like we we started full circle, right? We're so stuck in doing this way, right? Only only um, corporations or you know all of this therapy for my son. They want to do all of this like behavior modification and right. it's all about getting him oh, yeah. get well. And and I'm like, okay. I mean, I mean that's kind of useful. And okay, right? Yes. And how am I feeding his soul? Mm. Yeah. And every minute he's not in those stupid therapies, we are at the water. I'm like, okay, you're going to do the therapy at the lake. Sorry, yeah. guys. You know, and how, what does his soul need? Yeah. He is a spirit. And I'm glad you want him to sit quietly at the desk, but I'm not as interested in that. Right. <laughs> as giving him the tools he needs. And so it's what I hear you doing is coming and connecting for people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it quite like that, but yeah, it is. I do see it as the bridge. So it is the connector. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's making sense of things. And, and also I get excited about the impossible. It's probably one of the things that really helped me get through that time. Like if, if I think I could do something that somebody else thinks I can't, that's good. I can, I can work with that. Like, I love that. That's been a driver of mine for many years and I'm sure will continue to be. And sometimes it brings out the rebel in me, but it's very much like, if you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to do it. If you tell me I can do it, I'll probably get bored too quickly. <laughs> that's stubbornness, right? That stubborn yeah. part of me that's like, yeah. oh, that I can't, I'll show yeah. you. Here yeah. I go. And now at least I, when I was a kid, I had no consciousness about it. So the people would make me do random stuff. Yeah. And now at least I have some choice. Like, is that really the right thing? But it's a useful skill. 
It totally is. And so one of the things that happened to me in this, in this space was, so I, when I was really ill, I tried to get into one of the top pain management uh, rehabilitation centers in the UK. And you have to go through an application process because they have to make sure that you're well enough for their program. So I went through the, pro so you go for a residential weekend and, and basically I was refused. I was told I was not well enough. I needed a carer with me. Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I wouldn't be able to go on the program. So I was rejected by this top consultant in the UK, right? Fast forward, before I left the UK to come to the US, I was like this. And so I thought, well, just before I let go of the national health system and go into the American system, let me just go and see if there's anything else I need to be aware of here about the future. So I went to see him again. I walk into his room, remember last time he saw me, I was in a wheelchair, could barely sit up straight, you know, I was drooling and not good. And I walked in and he didn't recognize me. And he had a, he said, I think somebody's given me the wrong file. And he said, what's your name? And I said, Jane Morrill. And he went, Jane? Jane? And I said, yeah. And he said, I saw you two years ago and there was no hope for you. We couldn't even get you on the program. I said, I know. And he said, and he just sat back and he went, I have no information on this. And then he turned to me and he went, you were a really bad patient. <laughs> you didn't listen to anything. And, and he was going through his own process talking yeah. to me. You were a really bad patient. You didn't listen to me. Da, 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 da. You know, you negated things that I said. You didn't respect my view, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And then he sat back and he went, I'm so glad you did because I would never have been able to get you here. Right. And he, so then he invited me back to go. So there was um, a pain management course on at the time. So he invited me into the room to speak to the people. And so I just did. But I changed his paradigm because he had, he just said, I have no information on this, but you were a bad patient. And that was how he looked at me. You were a bad patient. Well, and his entire orientation was you weren't listening to him. Yes, none, none, yes. none that he was listening to yes. you. He yeah. Didn't hear you. I mean, that's the medical model. Yeah, and then, but the great thing was, you shifted he, could, it. he could see that. He was oh. like, oh shit, I, I thought that's you were a bad patient. Yeah, <laughs> and so for me, that's, that's where I like to play with people. Mm. It's in that space of, you know, oh, it feels to me like an opening. There's an opening here. I can show something in a way that this person's going to get. And I, I, I have a nagging suspicion at some point I'm going to go into medicine and, and be sharing this more. I've only done it that once in the UK. But I feel there's something that's needed in the healthcare system around this space. And, you know, it's, it won't be as amazing for other people because they didn't see me back then. Um, but, yeah, he was, like, completely floored by the whole experience. I, I think so. it's incredibly needed, yeah. right? Like it, I, I'm so tired of living in this medical model where it's, it's either or, right? Right. And I have to walk around with people who won't talk to each other. Exactly. Trying to bridge this gap. <laughs> oh yeah. And I remember giving birth to my son and, and the doctor came in and said, we don't allow you to push longer than three months. And I remember looking at like, allow me, who the hell are you? Like, how are you allowing me to do I anything? Like, and it was just like, and had he not said that, like, yeah, it would have been a different experience, but it's just like that. That was the argument. Like I know yeah, I about know. your body better. Yeah. It's the authority model. You know, it's, yeah. I know, and you need to respect that because I've done seven years at medical school and you haven't. 
but you've never given birth, buddy. So <laughs> then maybe, maybe you should listen to me a little bit. Um, right. yeah. 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 Okay. So we're off <laughs> no man's land. I, we should wrap it up. There's a couple things I want to say. Mm-hmm. One, which is in the liner notes at coachlesley.com forward slash podcast, we will have the books that you mentioned and links to you because I just, I adore you. I am so grateful <laughs> thank you. and your story. And, and I just, thank you. And thank you for all, you know, you wanted to go one way and I pushed you another, but so I really appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for your honesty and your life experience. And, and do you have anything more that you feel called to share? There's just one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, if you ever find yourself, if you're listening to this and you ever find yourself in a space where you think there's no way out and life feels really heavy for whatever reason and you feel hopeless and helpless and maybe even worthless, just know that that's just one perception. There are multiple perspectives around you. And if you can just look around you, there'll be someone or there'll be something, there'll be some light that you can hold on to that can help you to just take that one step that's all you know when you went for me when I I thought I was going to have to heal that felt like a really really long road up a mountain I didn't think I could climb but actually looking back I just had to keep moving that was it I just had to keep taking one step and on the days where I couldn't I didn't fall back I just stayed still and rested and then the next day okay now I can just take one more step so just know your you know the potential for your life is still there as long as you're breathing and wherever there's breath there's life so look around you there'll always be someone or something that can help what is your left cheek (laughs) exactly yeah and and knowing that there are going to be angels and signs or like whatever you know this little kid finding the book yeah exactly and we can never we can never know everything we just can't so there's always a potential for more there's always is there's always something and just because we don't know it doesn't mean it doesn't exist maybe it's your gift your calling to find it yeah that's it again thank you so much for sharing your story No, Leslie, it's been a pleasure. It really has. It really has. All right. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spirituality Out Loud. Be sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook, and share us with your friends.